0: We're going to continue our sermon series in Isaiah from chapter 40. If you haven't got a Bible, there may be a few. No, Andrew says not, apparently. Share with the person next to you if we've run run out. Isaiah chapter 40, we're going to start reading at verse 12 and go down to the end of the chapter. These are the words of the Holy One who created the heavens and the earth. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers, He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown. No sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says, the Holy One? Lift up your eyes to the heavens, who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint.
1: Amazing, thank you so much, Laura, for reading. These are big words. Uh, there's a sense in which we are standing on holy ground this morning as we contemplate the very being of God. There is a weight of glory. And my prayer is that we would feel that weight this morning. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are the awesome, almighty, wonderful Lord of all. And this morning we are not just gathered in a school hall. We are gathered before your throne. There is a weight of glory that we are contemplating this morning. And we pray that we would not be crushed by that weight, but we would apprehend something of it and be raised up and encouraged and built up. your spirit help us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I said to our, our midweek group that if, if ever I became prime minister, big if, and who would want that job quite frankly, uh, the first thing I do would do is, is not necessarily Um, reduce taxes, it it is to to ban and cancel 24-hour news media cycle. Um, This is just a personal experience. I I feel the constant news stream uh, impacting me. And then you've got your social media feed. So if you're not watching BBC News or whatever it is, 24 hours a day, well, you shouldn't be. You should be working or something, doing something useful. But, But then you've got your social media feeds, which are then contributing more to that sense of so much going on and lots of it so negative. We're bombarded, aren't we, with all the problems that our world is facing. Economic disaster, climate disaster, social justice disaster, the National Health Service in crisis, Europe is in crisis because of a war in Ukraine, maybe even nuclear disaster, and you could go on, couldn't you? Now maybe some of it's exaggerated. I feel like they've, they've got to make the stories bigger than they are to, to, to give themselves something to say. But we hear these things, and we can either feel constrained or broken by anxiety when we hear them, or we, we are overcome with this sense that we should do something vote out the government fix the climate zero carbon reduce renew recycle protest and support every social justice cause going we should do something and the more crises and threats the more we respond with anxiety and activity it can feel overwhelming can't it so what if there's a better response what if there's a better response to the threats and fears of this world. Not that action is always wrong. Sometimes if we can do something, we should do something. But if there's a better first response? The people in Isaiah are facing their own threat, a threat to their life, to their very existence. They were in exile under the captive rule of Babylon and they were anxious. They thought the Lord no longer cared for them. My way is hidden from the Lord, they say, verse 27. But how does God want them to react to this crisis, to the threat of destruction? It's not anxiety and it's not with activity or action. No, he says, look up and wait. Verse 26, lift up your eyes. Their existence is threatened. And what does God say? Look up and wait. We're going to do just that this morning. It's wonderful. Rooted are with us this morning, communion, so they stay with us. A couple of quick questions for you. Think of the ways in which God is different to us, and why is that good? How is God different to us, and why is that good? So we're going to look up. We're going to wait. Let's look up, first of all, and behold God's majesty. Now, if I said, look, close your eyes and think about God, it's... Very hard, isn't it, not to think of God being like us. It's what we do with aliens, isn't it? Reading a sci-fi book at the moment, and the main character's just met some aliens, and they are kind of human-like. Eyes and nose and mouth, legs. We can't help it. We, we, We just don't have the imagination to think of something different to us. And we do the same with God. We assume that God is like us, only... A bit bigger and a bit better. So we know stuff. He just knows more. We're, we're clever sometimes. He's just cleverer. We're strong. He's just stronger. So when I say look up and behold the majesty of God, we end up thinking about kind of a Superman character. But let's look at verse 12. Fundamentally, essentially, God is not like us. We are created He is the uncreated creator of everything. Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? See, this imagery is amazing, isn't it? For God, creating the universe is like a day at the beach. If you go to the beach and you are a normal person, what is the first thing you do? You build a sand castle. A normal person, that is, with kids, I should say. So, so you fill up a bucket with sand. You, you move the sand around. You form and you shape the castle. Then you, you get the seawater and you put it in the moat. Back and forth, more sand, more water. And it's all pretty effortless, isn't it? For God, creation was the same. He is so immense as if the Lord could scoop up the oceans in his hands and move them wherever he wanted who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or well, he is so immense it's as if he could pick up the mountain ranges of the earth and move them wherever he wanted he has weighed the mountains on scales god is the creator of everything like a day at the beach he shaped and he formed and he created the entire cosmos we are created We have a beginning. We have bodies that limit us to a certain time and a certain place. But God is not like that. He is the uncreated creator of everything. He has no beginning. He doesn't have a body. He's not contained to any moment or any place. He is always and everywhere. He's not basically like us just bigger and better. He is fundamentally different to us. It's like the difference between Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling. Harry is a character in a book. His life is contained to that world. J.K. Rowling is the author who created Harry and the entire world that he is contained within. Let's look at another way that God is different to us. He created all things. Secondly, he knows All things, verse 13. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? You see, the Lord knows everything. And this is important. He he doesn't know everything because he studied everything. For us, knowledge is something we learn and we gain. We experience things. We are taught things. But for God, he doesn't know because he discovers them. He never went to school. Who taught him knowledge? The question is. He didn't go on field trips to the end of the universe to find out what was there. Who showed him the path of understanding? He knows everything because he is the maker of everything. Think about that. A while back, I was reading a biography of the author J.R.R. R. Tolkien. And Tolkien wrote The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, and it's all set in this world called Middle Earth. And in the biography, it talked about how Tolkien had this intricate knowledge of Middle Earth. Middle Earth has a history. It has multiple languages. It has geography and myths. It is an entire world, a world that Tolkien had full knowledge of. But here's the thing. How did he know everything there was to know about Middle Earth? Did someone teach him? Did he learn about it in textbooks? Did he visit the place? No. He knew everything in Middle Earth because he made everything in Middle Earth. That is how God knows everything because he made it, all of it. If he doesn't know it, it doesn't exist. And he knows how, to be, how best to use that total knowledge. Who can instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? No one shows God the right way to do things. Because he knows and determines what the right way is. He knows the best way to organize our lives and the entire world. You ever seen the film Bruce Almighty? Jim Carrey, it's going back some time now, isn't it? The character, he, he, he becomes God for a day. And there's a scene when all the prayers of the world are flooding in, oddly into his email inbox. Um, don't understand that. But anyway, they're flooding into his email inbox. And as God for the day, Bruce is overwhelmed. How should he reply? What's the best thing to do? He's got no idea. So he sets up an auto-reply with Yes. every request your your request is granted and of course it just leads to chaos and madness it's not the lord of our creation though is it the lord of creation knows all things and he knows perfectly how to use the knowledge that he has he knows the right way to entire to organize your life and my life and the entire cosmos around us you look up and what do you see the Lord who created all things, the Lord who knows all things, his one more as well, the Lord who is independent of all things. Verse 15. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. The nations, you see, for Israel, that would have been the thing that they would have most feared in terms of their existence and their life. It seemed that the nations around them had most influence over their lives, whether they lived or died. But the Lord, he's not worried about the nations. They have no power or sway over him. They are like a drop in the bucket. So you go back to the beach. When you're making that incredible sandcastle, you pick up some water from the sea in your bucket, you carry it back to where the sandcastle is, and maybe you, you spill a few drops. You, you don't then stop and think, oh, we need to go back. We need to pick up those drops. You're not even bothered. You carry on. You probably didn't even notice. It's no big deal. They're just drops from a bucket. And so it is with God. He doesn't stop what he's doing and think to himself, but what will the nations say? What will the rulers of the earth say? No, he's not dependent upon them. They're just drops from a bucket. And that means he's free. Free to be God. Not constantly changing his mind or his plans to please other powers or other voices. Free to be perfect and good and to do justice because he is entirely independent of everything in this creation. Look up and behold the majesty of God. He is the creator of all, he knows all things, and he is independent of all things. But how does this help? You know, when the news cycle is filled with impending disaster, how does this help us deal with all those social justice issues that that should be dealt with? How does it help us with the war in Ukraine? How does it help when I face those more personal threats of loneliness or, or cancer or depression? I don't know. I don't know how it helps those particular things. But I do know this. When you contemplate greatness, when you set your eyes upon the majesty of God, everything else feels less concerning and less threatening. I mentioned that sci-fi book I was reading earlier on, and I've only just started, but the main character is someone called Ransom. Interesting name, Ransom. He's been kidnapped and he's imprisoned in a spaceship that's hurtling through space. His captors have told him, when you arrive, you're likely to be killed. And so, understandably, he's, he's getting filled with anxiety and he's worried about what's going to happen. But then something happens. Listen to this, it'll be on the screen. It's a long-ish extract. The odd thing was that he stopped feeling anxious. In the nights, he lay for hours in contemplation of the skylight. The Earth's disk was nowhere to be seen. The stars, thick as daisies on an uncut lawn, reigned perpetually with no cloud, no moon, no sunrise to dispute their sway. There were planets of unbelievable majesty and constellations undreamed of. There were celestial sapphires, rubies, emeralds, and pinpricks of burning gold. Far out to the left of the picture hung a comet, tiny and remote. And between all and behind all, far more emphatic and palpable than it showed on earth, the undimensioned, enigmatic blackness, he could not fear. The view was too high, too solemn for any emotion save a severe delight. Look up, says the Lord, and behold my majesty, And what value is it? What practical difference does it make to our cancer or our depression or our struggles? How does it help when social media is screaming at us, climate disaster, social justice disaster, economic disaster? Practically, I don't know what difference it's going to make. Perhaps there is no practical value. But when you contemplate the majesty of God like this, the creator of all, the knower of all, maybe you will have the same experience as ransom. Maybe you'll realize it is impossible to be afraid. Maybe those things that seem so big and so threatening and so defining and so controlling, maybe they will seem slightly less threatening and defining and controlling. Maybe instead, you will be filled with severe delight Instead of constant anxiety and constant activity. Look up. Behold God's majesty. Want to stop there, don't we? But the Lord has given us so much. So we're going to carry on. Look up and behold God's authority. Have a look at verse 22. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And its people are like grasshoppers. Where is our God? He is enthroned above the circle of the earth and he has complete authority over the earth. Verse 23, he brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. He blows on them and they wither. The powers of earth come and go according to God's authority. And so do the powers of the heavens Verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and see. And he's talking about the stars and the cosmos. Who created these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name? A few Christmases back, uh, we got Lara, a little telescope. uh, Used to sit on her windowsill. And and it was an incredible thing. You You could look through it and you could actually see the moon. And like clockwork, there it was depending on clouds, but there it was, night after night. Do you know, on a clear night, if you look up to the sky, with just your eyes, you can see perhaps 5,000 stars. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? But astronomers reckon there are about 300 billion stars in our galaxy alone, and that might be another 100 billion galaxies beyond ours, each with 300 billion stars. I don't know if those numbers are right. But every night, like clockwork, God brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. How does he do it? End of verse 26. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Because of his great power and authority, he speaks. And 100 billion galaxies, with their 300 billion stars, obey him. It's amazing, isn't it? It's it's a little better now. But in the past, when we tried to leave the house, I'd call out. Lara, Indy, Eliza, Elijah, it's time to go. If you're a parent, you know what this is like. And and what happened? To be fair, actually, Lara would, would come. The wee man, Elijah, would start dancing off somewhere else into the house Indy would be lost in some imaginary game and Eliza would come, but not until she'd picked up 1,000 dolls to take with her. I can't even command four small people. But God speaks and 100 billion galaxies with 300 billion stars each obey his voice. Our God has authority over all things. Look up and see his power. And do you know what that means, don't you? you know, whatever power you are tempted to fear, whatever circumstance, whatever threat it entraps your heart, put it alongside your God. And behold his majesty and behold his authority and see how small those things are. I know they feel big to us. Perhaps that's because we don't look up enough. What is it that you feel most threatened by? Cancer, climate change, depression, loneliness, war, poverty? Place it alongside God and know that one day He will blow and all of those things will wither to nothing. Look up and behold your God. He created all things. He knows all things. He is independent of all things. He has power over all things. Maybe, maybe you doubt this. Maybe you think that these are just words on a page. Anyone can say anything. But for us, our God did not stay as words on a page. Like an author writing themselves into the story, the Lord wrote himself into our story, into the pages of human history as the person Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, we see this God, the uncreated creator, entering into his world. And you can tell when you look at his life. Jesus, who controlled the seas as if they were just waters in a bucket, Jesus who formed the dust or the atoms of the earth into bread and fish so that he could feed 5,000. Jesus who knew what people were thinking even before they spoke. Jesus who with a word made spiritual powers squirm and retreat and who with a word made the earthly powers fall on their knee before him. If you doubt that the Lord of creation is real, then look at Jesus and you see the Lord in creation. So look up. Behold the majesty of our God who created all things and knows all things and is independent of all things, who has power and authority over all things. And what do you say after that? What do you do after that when you've looked up and you've contemplated your God? Well, our final point look up and wait for God. Have a look again at verse 27. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you see where this question is coming from? After 26 verses outlining the nature and character of God, God thinks, I've done enough, actually. Enough to show you why you no longer need to doubt me. Given who I am, given what I am like, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say God doesn't care? But here's the interesting thing. How is it that God deals with those doubts? He doesn't berate them. And nor does he give them explanations about why things are the way that they are. Instead, he just says to them again, look at me. You can trust me. Verse 28, do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. Look at me, look at who I am. Look at what I've just told you. You can trust me to end your exile and to bring you home. When we face threats and fears and uncertainties, God is unlikely to give us explanations why and how. Instead, he will say, look at who I am. Behold my majesty and my authority. I will not grow tired and weary. I will get you home. I will renew the world. I will bring justice. Look at me and trust me. And when we do that, when we wait upon him, something happens, verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You see, when you trust in this Lord, when you wait upon him, when your first response is not anxiety or activity, but it's to wait upon the Lord and behold him, you find that you are strengthened to keep trusting him and not feel overwhelmed. You find that you are strengthened to keep obeying him even when it feels like he doesn't help. You are strengthened so that we trust him to bring us home and to renew the earth and to bring justice. You're strengthened so we don't feel responsible for all the problems of the world and feel that we must solve every problem in this world. We are like grasshoppers. He is enthroned above the earth. But just as we close, it seems a slightly disappointing note to end on, doesn't it? Those last three lines kind of feel like they're the wrong way around, don't they? You think it should go from walking to running to soaring. God strengthens us so that we can soar through life. But here's what's so brilliantly realistic about Isaiah. You See, what is the proof that God has strengthened his people? What is the proof that he is strengthening you in your life as you trust him? Well, sometimes it will feel like you're soaring through life. Nothing gets you down. Nothing causes you to doubt. But what's it going to feel like for most of us most of the time? Walking without fainting. Getting through one day at a time. That is the strength of God. Choosing godliness in the classroom or at university or in the office. And then getting up and doing the whole thing all over again. That's what it's like to trust in God fulfilling the responsibilities the Lord has given you as a son or a daughter or a husband or wife or a church member or a mother or a father or an employer or employee and getting up and doing the whole thing all over again. That is the strength that the Lord gives us. So when faced with all the turmoil and crises, when you hear about all the causes that need our support, before you respond with anxiety or activity, Do something else first. Look up and wait upon your God. I know I keep saying this, but it's why our Sundays are so important. Because on a Sunday we gather and together we look up and we behold the majesty and authority of God and together we wait upon him. We bring our prayers and our fears and our threats before him and we see the world how it really is in the hands of the glorious, powerful, good, loving, faithful Lord and God of all creation. Don't feel overwhelmed by anxiety. Don't feel compelled to action and activity in the face of every threat, at least not at first. Behold your God and wait for him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, all we can do is ask that you would give us the eyes of faith to believe what we have just considered. Help us to know that you are this God. As we look at the Lord Jesus, help us to be assured that you are real. You have entered our world. And we pray that the more we contemplate you, the more impossible it will feel to be afraid. And may our fear be replaced with a severe delight in you and all your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.